A grace to you and peace from our God and Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Well, dear friends, for this weekend, as my son Andrew was graduating, it brought back many reflections, many reminiscences about our life together. In fact, I've had the privilege to be able to confirm all four of my boys. I also had the privilege to be able to baptize two of them, and two others were baptized by the pastor who was my field work pastor while I was in seminary. For our, yes, entire lives, we've been a part then of this Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, uh, two of my boys being born to us while in uh, seminary, uh, two born to us at my first parish. And you think back over those years, you think back over the, those times, yes, of confirmation. For really within our lives, we just kind of make two significant vows for, for many of us, uh, don't we? Now, many of you were, were married within the church. You, you stood before the pastor, before the congregation, you gave your vow, right? That you would be faithful, you would be true, you would honor your spouse in sickness and in health until death parted you. You gave that very significant vow. You did it before a congregation. You did it before the pastor. You did it before God himself. But I know all of us here today, I believe, have also made another very significant vow. For we stood before a congregation. We stood before a pastor on our confirmation day. Didn't we? Did you kind of remember your confirmation day? Well, yeah, it was all those years ago. Maybe through the passage of time, it becomes a, a, a little bit hazy, but I well remember my own. Uh, for, for us within the church I grew up in, you know, we, we made our own stoles. And, you know, the weekend before confirmation, we got together at the pastor's house and we, we decorated our stoles. And, and for, for mine, I, I had, you know, the, the open Bible, the, the word of God. That was one of the symbols I, I put on mine. And a, another symbol was I had the Holy Spirit there. And, and then, of course, you know, you, you have to have the, the cross on your stole, don't you? And, and so on my stole, you know, I, I had a cross. Let's see. Stood before the, the congregation and, you know, you're kind of were in, in fear and, and trembling and, and, you know, for some reason it seemed extra uh, stressful to be able to stand for that, that time and, and maybe even felt like passing out. You know, you felt a little bit faint. And you gave your vows in confirmation. 
as I was kind of reflecting over the years, you know, in, in my career as a, a pastor, I've, I've buried more than a hundred people, but I've also had the privilege to be able to confirm about 75 people over my, my 22 years in the ministry. And for, for us within the, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, one of the questions that, that we ask is, you know, do you hold Martin Luther's small catechism to, to be an, an accurate summary of the word of God? See, now we're not saying that Martin Luther is perfect or, you know, Martin Luther ought to be a saint or, or something like that. But we're saying when we instruct our young people, right, that, that this catechism is 100% accurate. It is the, the, the correct summary of the word of God, that the things that are printed here are right. And that they're true. And, and that they can be depended upon. I know for, for all of you confirmed within the, the Lutheran Church, at, at least, you know, you made a, a similar uh, assessment. You said, you know, I believe that as my pastor was teaching me from Martin Luther's small catechism, that that is accurate. That, that that's a hundred percent that it was right, and and you know what? Many other denominations in the United States also use Martin Luther's small catechism, even though they they may not be Lutheran, even though they might have diff different titles, even though they maybe believe different things in some ways than we do. What they're saying is, you know what? This is Right. Yeah, do you remember what the catechism contains? It contains the Ten Commandments, right? You know, for a, a lot of us, the, the commandments, again, are the same. Although some other denominations, they might number them a little bit differently. Right? You, you, you might see some little you know, bits of, of difference in, in some of the, the wording. But nevertheless, the Ten Commandments, right? Here they are. The Lord's Prayer. Right, again, for, for us and, and the Roman Catholics, right, we include an, an ending that the, the Roman Catholics don't. You know, sometimes you've gone to Roman Catholic services, maybe you've wondered, you know, why, why is the, the ending of the Lord's Prayer slightly different? Well, it, it comes back to the, the year 1054, right, when the, the Roman Catholic Church split with the Orthodox Church. And, and the Roman Catholics decided to cut the ending because they were saying we're different than those Orthodox people are. So we're not going to have the ending. Martin Luther being raised as a Roman Catholic said, well, you know what? Maybe we ought to kind of bring the ending back because we're not in that same place anymore. And so, yeah, there, there's little differences and there's things that happen in, in history. But the Lord's Prayer Right, here it is. <clears throat> we declared, we believe this to be the accurate summary of God's word. We stood before God, before the congregation. We made that very plain. And But you know what, what else we did? 
we actually said that we would rather face death than to depart from the teaching that we had been given in this catechism. We would rather die. We made that vow before God. We made that vow before the congregation. We made the vow before one another. We'd rather face death than to depart from this teaching. Now, you know, some people in the, the secular world, they, they might say, well, I, you know, I think that's maybe just kind of me. You know, you have all these little kids together and, you know, they're only 13 or, or 14 and, and, you know, you've just kind of brainwashed them, you know, and they haven't had any other opportunities to, to study other ways of, of, of faith. And then you make them kind of take this vow that, you know, they would rather face death. Come on, that, you know, so serious. Right. How, how is that fair? How's that fair to those people? But you know what, dear friends, you know, through my, my personal experience of faith, I always found it to be very fair because I made the journey back, really, to the, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. First, as a young man, I, I was raised as a Lutheran, and I, I took the, the path that many maybe some of you did, maybe some of your children did, where I, I got off to college and, and I said, oh, you know, all Christian faiths are kind of equal, I think. You know? Well, maybe you've never been there, but maybe you were. They say, you know, as long as we believe in Jesus, As long as we can go to a church and they say, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me. So, hey, you know, we can all just kind of get along. And, and why are these, you know, different divisions? And, and why is there, you know, so much difference? And, and if you asked me 35 years ago, right, you could go back in your time machine. You'd say, oh, hey, what do you think? And I, I'd say, oh, as long as you're a Christian, it's okay, right? Because certainly I, I still know, you know, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so I, I still believed in, in Jesus. I knew Jesus was the only way to heaven, but, you know, honestly, that's what I would have said. Uh, hey, if you're a Christian, that's okay. And, and you know, I had some family down in Texas and they were Baptists, you know, and I, I thought, you know, Baptists probably were pretty good. And, and I, I had other family that were Lutheran and, hey, you know, that, that's all right. And, and, you know, we had, you know, some mixtures going on in my own personal family. But, you know, that's kind of where I was. And then I, I, I began when I was in the Navy to think about going off to seminary. 
And, and so, you know, I, I was excited about that. And, you know, here I'm going to go and I'm, I'm going to seminary. I'm, I'm getting ready. And the, the first place I, I, I went, I, I'm sitting there in the chapel the first week. And, and the, uh, the faculty member gets up and, and begins to pray to our sister God. And I thought, what? Our sister God? I don't even know if these people are praying to the, the same God that I pray to. How we, we pray to, to our sister, God. Because you know what the, the real word of God says? You know, our Father who art in heaven. Right, God makes it very clear in the Holy Scriptures that there is a distinction, that there is you know, something very special, that God is to be regarded as a father. There, there's no place in the scripture where you can go and say, well, you know, this is kind of in question. I, I, I think that maybe we should you know, talk about this. No, right? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God is revealed as our Father. That, that, that makes a difference. Right? Very distinctive. When you stood before the congregation and, and you said, you know, this is an accurate exposition of God's word, and you stood before the congregation and said, I would rather face death than to depart from the teaching that has been given to me, then how can you say, well, I, I think maybe God's a girl. Maybe it's a woman. Maybe it's my sister. You, you can't do it, can you? you? You gave your word. I would rather face death than depart from the teaching. <clears throat> well, as I, I mentioned, I had you know some Southern... Baptist people around me, and so I kind of went off to a, a, a different seminary, and I thought, you know, Southern Baptists are, are pretty good people. You know, the Word of God, they, you know, stand on the, the Word, they, you know, teach from, from that Word of God. The Word of God seems very important, you know, to the, those people. And I, I thought, you know, I, I can probably fit in with that. I, I can probably do that. And, and so, you know, there, there I, I was at a, a Baptist uh, seminary, but, you know, it was kind of niggling at, at the back of my mind, you know, that they, they don't really like infant baptism. Now, do they? You know, you know, you know, you probably have some Southern Baptist friends, right? They deny infant baptism. They say infant baptism isn't good enough, right? That, that's kind of the thing, right? No, you you got to get to the age of majority. You got to get to the age of about 12 or 13, or you know, where you can kind of make some choices and, and you can make a decision for Christ. See? Oh, doesn't that sound good? Well, you, you know, you come to this special time in your life and you make a decision for Christ. Sounds good. But dear friends, again, as we had in the example of our text for today, right, that the disciples, they go to a place and this individual and her entire household are baptized, you see. 
She made the decision for her household. Everybody there got baptized based upon what she wanted to have happen. Why do we baptize little babies? It's because we believe that baptism imparts to them the Holy Spirit. You might say, well, how can a little baby have faith? How can a little baby have the Holy Spirit? Well, guess what? We have a good example in the New Testament, don't we? John the Baptist. When Mary, the mother of our Lord, goes to see her cousin, the, the baby within her cousin's womb, John the Baptist, leaps for joy within the womb. He has the Holy Spirit. We're also told you know, he had the Holy Spirit at the time he was born. But so we have these two instances you know, from the scripture. John the Baptist within the womb possessing the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist as a, a tiny little newborn baby having the Holy Spirit. How can we then argue that little babies can't have the Holy Spirit? It occurs within the scripture. It's right there. Right? We want our little babies to have the Holy Spirit, don't we? We want them to have the protection of God's covering. We want that infant baptism for our children because that imparts to them the gifts of God. That makes that little baby one of God's family. Provides that protection. Gives to them eternal life. For, for us, we really believe it. it shows that beautiful picture of how God chose us. Because maybe, maybe some of you have films of your own baptism. Now, maybe you were wailing your hands and your feet, you're screaming at the top of your lungs. Maybe you spit your pacifier in the pastor's eye. You know, there's all kinds of things that maybe happen during the service of the baptism, but God picked us. God put it upon the heart of your mom and dad, your grandma, your grandpa, to bring you here to be baptized. Right? Yet you didn't choose it. You, you didn't somehow develop the intellectual ability. You didn't somehow develop the, the you know, an, anticipation that you wanted to be saved, but rather God put it upon the hearts of other people to bring you so you could be chosen. So you could become God's child. What a beautiful picture that is. The love that God has for us. That even while we were still sinners, even while we were still kicking and screaming and spitting out our pacifier, God wanted us. It's beautiful. And dear friends, that is one of the things we proclaim. I would rather face death than to depart from the teaching given by Martin Luther, supported by the holy word of God. I'd rather face death. 
You know, another thing to, to us that's very important as Missouri Synod Lutherans is the, the Lord's Supper, isn't it? And within the, the Lord's Supper, again, we have, you know, that, that very stern warning. But, you know, for, for those uh, who fail to discern the body and blood of our Lord, they eat and drink condemnation upon themselves. Right? That's the, the holy word of God. That's not, oh, oh, oh Pastor Cross, I had a dream last night. No. Martin Luther, in, in some you know, weird, weird way, you know, he, he thought that it, it was more important than it was. No, that's the, the very word of God. If you fail to discern the body and blood of Christ within the sacrament, you eat and drink condemnation upon yourself. Right, one, one of the reasons that the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church it seemingly is, you know, very strict uh, about the, this idea of the Lord's Supper is because of that fact. Right, that the pastor just carelessly gives out, you know, communion to, you know, anybody, you know, anyone who, who's there, right, you know, just kind of throws it around in a careless manner. Those people who are eating and drinking can become condemned, right? They, they can even experience illnesses. They, they can even come to die from receiving the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Yeah, that's what the Holy Word of God tells us. That's what, what's supported by Martin Luther in our catechism. That's one of the things that, again, we took the vow, right, that we would respect the Lord's Supper, that we would discern that the body and blood of Jesus is truly present. Well, uh, so dear friends, you know, there I was at the, the Southern Baptist Seminary and I was saying, yeah, you know, at least we're not praying to my sister God, you know. And, and, and they're saying, you know, when they hold the Bible in their hand, that that Bible is the, the, the true word of God. But, it, you know, this thing about baptism, suffer the little children to come to me and do not hinder them, says Jesus our Lord. We often read through that scripture when we're doing a baptism, don't we? Let the little children come. Don't hinder them. Infant baptism became very important to me. Discerning the body and blood of our Lord within the sacrament of communion, that, that became very important to me. And I began to, to think to myself about, you know, the, the teachings of my grandfather. I've told you a little bit about him. Andrew, his middle name, named for my grandfather, Osborne. Andrew Osborne Crosswhite, named for my grandfather. You know, I, I began to think, you know, as I was, was growing up, my, my stepdad, my, my step-grandfather, they kind of had conflict, you know? Because my, my stepdad believed, like, like I, I told you, I believed it in college. You know, as long as you're a Christian, that's fine. 
And of course, Grandpa Reed was a very staunch Missouri Synod Lutheran from back in the day. And, and he said, you know, what if we're not in fellowship with those people? You, you don't hang out with them. And you don't pray with them, right? You, you don't have joint services with them. And my, my dad, you know, he, he was like, oh, if you're a Christian, that's okay. See? So there, there was conflict. And I began to think within myself, you, you know what? My grandfather, Osborne, he was probably right. Have you ever arrived at that moment? You're like in, in your you know, mid-20s, and you begin to reflect over your, your life, and you begin to reflect over the teachings that, that you had received, and, and you said, you know what? What do I believe? Do I believe that the word of God is true? Do, do I believe when, you know, the, the pastor baptizes the, the little baby, that the Holy Spirit comes to that little baby and they're included into God's family? Do, do I believe that when the pastor consecrates the elements that they truly come to contain the body and blood of Christ? Do, do I believe what Martin Luther wrote within the small catechism? Do I believe within myself these things to be true? When I made that vow and I was just 13 or 14 years old that I would rather face death than to fall away from the teaching I had received? Was that real? Was that important? Did I really want to honor that commitment? And, and so, dear friends, during that, that time, those were things I was faced with. And those were decisions that I came to make. And that was the time when, yes, I decided I would go off to Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. And so we made the journey. My wife and I didn't have any, any little tykes around yet. One of the, the things that I truly appreciate probably the, the most about our Lutheran Church Missouri Synod was way back in the 1960s when a, a lot of other denominations were, were falling apart. And, and, and yeah, it, it was happening to us as well. The president of our synod at that time, he, he went to Concordia Seminary and he said, all you guys are fired. Right, you're gone. You're not teaching the word of God anymore. You're creating doubt within people's minds when you send students out into the field to proclaim whatever they think is right rather than what is right. And that was known to us as a seminary. Because guess what? There are a lot of students on the campus that, that liked and appreciated their professors, right? You know, it wasn't like all, all these you know, professors were just anti-social goofballs that you know, no, nobody liked and all the students said, hey, I'm glad those professors are gone. No, they, they liked and appreciated their professors. They had personal relationships with them. And, and to have the president of our synod come and say, oh, you guys are fired, right? Those students protested. 
And they, they got little crosses and they put thousands of little crosses on the lawn, you know, to protest the firing of those professors. And, and then Seminex was the, the seminary in exile. For you see, all those professors got together and they formed their own seminary. And, and the, a lot of the students went with them, you know, over to their, their new seminary. A lot of those students couldn't be placed because churches calling for new pastors are kind of like, hmm, all those professors got fired and they're still training students and I don't know if I really want one of those pastors. But that's what was happening. The, the president of our synod at, at the time, he called on pastors from a uh, station around the world to come back to the seminary to teach. And then we began to face accreditation problems because, you know, the, the powers that be in academia, they, they said, well, you, you, you don't have any PhDs there teaching. A lot of these guys, they just have master's degrees in, in theology. You, you don't have a, a broad base. You, you don't have a, a collection of experience. And the, the president of our synod said, so what? We're, we're teaching the word of God again. Right? These are, you know, professors that I have had oversight of and I know what their teaching was out in the field and I understand them to uphold the word of God. And these are, are going to be the ones teaching here. And if you don't want to give us accreditation, so what? Because congregations will hire pastors who believe God's word. Yeah, that, that was a big step. It was a big departure at that time. Everybody else was saying, oh, we can't lose our accreditation, and, and oh, the students love these professors, and, and, and oh, our, our seminaries you know, need to get with the times, and our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, stood its ground. See, that, that's where we come from. I would rather face death than depart from the teaching. I love going to Concordia Seminary. I love being around other students of that, that same perspective. I, I love having teachers and instructors that knew the true word of God. It was a great blessing for us to be able to be there. Well, you know what, I, I went about, you know, oh, 15 years down the, the road, something like that, and, you know, our culture is, is changing, and, and, and things are kind of in turmoil, and, and you know, you, you maybe kind of start to, to wonder, you know, can, can the, the world have, you know, influence on these ways that we love? Is there, there going to be some, some problem? I, I kind of looked with, with interest. We have, you know, one of our Concordia universities was out there in Washington State. 
And, and that particular university began to, to have a kind of, of difficulty where the, the head of the faculty, the, the president of the university, he, he allowed the Gay Christian Alliance to form a club on the campus. And the, the district president we had at, at the time, or, or the, the synodical president we had at the time said, you know what, that, that's not us. Right? I, there's no way that you're going to be able to have a, a gay Christian alliance on the campus. You, you just can't do it. Well, I know because of intricacies of law and, you know, different aspects, they said, well, if you're going to, you know, kick out the gay Christian alliance, then you have to kick out all the other clubs. Because otherwise that would be prejudice. And so our university there in Washington State, they canceled all the clubs. They kicked everybody out. Our, our, you know, synodical president, he fired the president of our college there in Washington. Well, of course, you know, the, the faculty was, was kind of involved with the local community and, and, you know, they were protesting that the, the president of the college got fired and, you know, they knew what the reasons were and they're upset about that. And then another factor came in, in that this was primarily a teaching school, and so the teachers need places to have internships when they go out to teach. And a bunch of the schools in Washington State, they got together, and they said, until you change your policy, we're not going to take any of your students to teach in our schools. Well, it makes it kind of difficult to, to have a, a teaching school if your students can't go out and do internships, right? if they you know, can't, can't participate. And, 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 and dear friends, I got to probably you know, just, just share with you honestly, I, I began to maybe have a little bit of doubt. Because, you, you know, here's one of our universities and, you know, they're going through these problems and, and I began to kind of say to myself, you know, I wonder if they'll stand. I wonder if this might be maybe the beginning of a change. You know, people will say, oh my, you know, we have this beautiful campus there, and, and, and oh my, we've invested, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars there, and you know, oh, we have, you know, programs, and, and, and oh, what about those poor juniors? Right, you know, they, they came to the school uh, thinking they could get a four-year degree, and now they're in their junior year, and, and, and what, you know, what's gonna happen to the juniors, those poor people? But dear friends, as many of you know, we closed that university. 
We're not going to submit to the people of Washington State in their regard to have a, a pro-gay movement there. We're not going to allow the, the homosexual movement to come and infiltrate our synod yet at this time. And, and why is that? Because Roman one plainly teaches the only way that you can become a homosexual is by rejecting the Holy Spirit. See? Well, who wants to listen to Paul anymore? What did Paul know? That's what Paul says in Romans 1. Now, I don't think a, a lot of other people are off the hook because Paul said, you know what? The only way you can commit adultery is by rejecting the Holy Spirit. The only way you can commit murder is by rejecting the Holy Spirit. The only way you can go and steal things from your neighbor is by rejecting the Holy Spirit. So what do we have? When we got baptized, we got the Holy Spirit. See? What happens when you reject him? We don't know. I don't want to find out. I don't want to look at any of your lives and go, hey, you know, when that person rejected the Holy Spirit, that, that's what happened. Uh, that other person rejected the Holy Spirit, they went that way. That person rejected the Holy Spirit. We never saw him again. I, I don't want to know. But, you know, certainly it's different for every person, isn't it? But Paul is very plain. The only way that you fall into these sins is by rejecting the Holy Spirit. And once the Holy Spirit has departed, then Satan has you. He can take you down whatever path <coughs> He wants to take you. He can make of you whatever he wants you to be. And your life is never the same again. We still understand that. That's why we still have young people make those vows. I'd rather face death than lose the Holy Spirit. I'd rather face death than to depart from the teaching handed down to me. I'd rather face death than to deny infant baptism. I'd rather face death than to take the Lord's Supper in a casual manner. I'd rather face death then disappoint my Savior. But dear friends, the Bible tells us as well that we all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have made mistakes at times and, and we all have questioned his word at <coughs> times. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each one of us to his own way. But our God and Father laid those sins upon Jesus, our Savior, didn't he? He made for each one of us a way to come back again. 
He made for each one of us a way to return once more from the ways of death. He sent Jesus, our Savior, to die upon the cross that each of our sins might be forgiven, that even our sins of doubt could be covered, that even though we had fallen so far as the thief upon the cross, we could still fall upon our knees and we could say, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And if you can say that today, if you can fall on your knees, if you can lay your sins at the feet of Jesus, he welcomes you home with open arms. Amen. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.